Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. If in life we never get to the point where we say, wow, this is a really tough situation. If God doesn't go with me, there's no way I can do it. If we don't get to the point of our life where we recognize, wow, there is more than me to this world, and Jesus is the one who promised to go with me, to do well with me. If there's a great example of this, it has to be Moses himself. And so one of the toughest questions Moses asked God, are you going to go with me? And let's set the context this morning because we know this morning after we get done that only by God dwelling with us shall we even go. Even by our new neighbors showing up and saying, hey, I want to dwell with you. If he were to dwell with us and then say, not anymore. And as we as his followers recognize who he is, and with him we go into our communities and spheres of influence. That's why we read at the end of every service, Matthew 28, as you go, make disciples. And that's our goal. That's our purpose for being. So we're going to study this in light of our new neighbor coming to town, and he's going to dwell with us, Emmanuel, God with us. But only by his power, by his dwelling, shall we go. So we've got to set the backdrop. Moses is going to ask this great big question. God, will you go with us? But you're like, hey, this is Exodus 33. There's a whole lot of Exodus that's happened already. They made a movie out of it. Charleston Heston. Or, yeah, Ten Commandments. You've got God saying, hey, I'm going to show up to a people that are slaves. And I'm going to rescue you. So let's set the backdrop of why this is an incredibly important time that Moses says, God, are you going to go? Are you going to go with us? And we're going to figure out, why did Moses even ask this? So let's set the backdrop. Fly with me through for a second. Just trust me as I go through here. We're going to start in Genesis, the end of Genesis. The book of Genesis starts with creation, but it's a larger story of God working through his promises with Abraham through this guy named Joseph. And we recognize, hey, Joseph was sold into slavery, right? The brothers said, hey, oh, I can't stand this dreamer. So they sell him. And God works out, and we find at the end of Genesis, hey, what you meant for evil, Joseph says to his brothers, God meant for good. What was the good that God meant? Just to save their lives, save their hide? It's in saving the entire 70 people that migrated to Egypt. And God's continuing his promises through Abraham. When there's a worldwide famine, they would have died. God's going to rescue these people and plant them in Egypt. And he actually plants them in some really good land. And they multiply like crazy. But there arose a pharaoh who didn't know Joseph. And so they end up being slaves. So this family grows, and they turn into this massive population by the time we get to Exodus 1. And God hears their cries. Then we see that Exodus 3, God calls Moses. What kind of guy was Moses? Quality guy, upstanding citizen, 
really good thinker, slow to anger kind of guy. Oh, no, 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 no. Moses, the murderer, who gets, he's highly passionate about justice, but doesn't know how to handle it. Wants to make sure things get worked out right between these Egyptians and these leaders and his slave and his fellow people. I know what I'll do. I'll just kill the guy. Talking about taking matters into your own hands really quickly. So he's not quality the guy we would vote on to the elder board. But God sends him out. He says, hey, you're going to shepherd some sheep for a long time. And then God calls him. It's pretty neat to go back through and read this because Moses actually gets to argue with God. No, 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 I'm not the guy. But God calls him. And why does God call him? Well, he's really specific about this. Moses, this isn't going to be about you. It's going to be about me. I want to rescue my people so they can serve and worship me. So we get to Exodus 4. Right at the beginning, Exodus 4, God says, Israel, you are my firstborn child. Let my people go, or I'll kill your firstborn. Right at the get-go. And why am I going to do this, God says? So you, even the Egyptians, are going to know that I am the Lord. I'm going to declare myself so you won't worship all these other deities. Because as we went through Kid Nation, it was really cool to teach the kids that each one of those plagues was God's battle against his Egyptian god. And he resoundedly defeated each and every one. So the Egyptians would know that I am the Lord their God. Yells God. And he's going to use Pharaoh to display his power. Who else is watching this go on? Who's the byproduct of God declaring his glory? The Israelites. Wow, you mean God's using us to de declare his glory and it's not all about us. Exactly. So then you move into Exodus 4, Exodus 11, 12, and we move forward into the story. God declares his ultimate judgment right at the beginning. Israel's my firstborn. If you don't let them go, I'm going to kill your firstborn. The time between God's declaration of judgment and the time in which he does it is what we call grace. The time between he says, hey, get... get matters here's what I'm upset about and the time between that and when he does it is grace it's very very early in the book of Exodus that God says if you don't do this I will kill your firstborn does more does more does more and finally he keeps his word and he's going to warn them twice even before he keeps his word and God's timing between the time that Abraham between the time Joseph and the boys get reconciled and they're saved and they're there in the, the country of Egypt until God liberates them is 430 years. We haven't existed as a country that long. And we're worried about how God's going to handle the next election. I could preach a whole sermon on just the 430 years part here. How many generations came through before, after, Waiting on the 430 years. And we can summarize it in like first 10 minutes of a sermon. What God did and his amazing work in people's lives. But God's timing isn't necessarily our timing. And when God warns, he eventually keeps his word. Exodus 19. God rescues his people. 
in a dramatic way that only God can get credit for. What are the people quick to do? When Moses, when God says, hey, this was all about me. Will you follow me? Everybody's like, I will. I just saw it all. Everybody's incredibly quick to proclaim obedience to the God who rescued them. And wouldn't you? If you saw all of that happen, how many times in our lives do we look back on small events where God didn't even have to part the Gulf of Mexico for us to get across to Texas? Do we say, oh yeah, yeah, I'll follow this God. And God isn't done illustrating himself right here in Exodus 19. He illustrates his power through thunder, lightning, a thick cloud, and a real loud trumpet blast. We run into, run into people all the time and say, if I just saw God do something, I'd believe him. Here's the creator of the universe putting on a show through his creation. Oh, you want some evidence? Oh, let's ring off some lightning. And I want you to all gather around this same mountain. And I'm going to show my power through my creation. And get Mount Sinai, the wording in there is as if it trembled because it's alive. It's a creature. The mountain itself is like God's up there. So you got these, all these people standing around it after an Exodus story where God has shown up in an incredibly powerful way around a mountain that's shaken in its boots. There's lightning, there's fire, and there's all this going on. And God says, don't you even touch this mountain. Don't you even get close to it because you could die. Has God shown up? The people are quick to proclaim obedience to this God. This is the God of Exodus 19. Now, Exodus 25. This is what's incredibly important. When God says, I want to live with you, we've said for two weeks now it's a big deal. Exodus 25, one verse. Mark it. Make me a sanctuary so I can dwell with you. The end of Exodus is the entire story of making a tabernacle. Exodus 25 comes after God illustrates himself in 19. It's a real short verse. Make me a sanctuary so I may dwell with you. If you're the people standing at the base of the mountain in Exodus 19 and God says, Hey, I've just lit up like a, the world's best fire display. Fourth of July in New York City or whatever has never been close to Mount Sinai. And he said, hey, I want to live with you. You'd be like, whoa. Wow. God wants to dwell with us. The same God who created Jesus says, I want to chase after you. I want to dwell with you. I want to actually deal with your sin. When the sin of the golden calf happens, Remember, they had a spot in, Matthew, in Exodus 25 to go to. It's a pivotal point. Because they have a leader that has somewhere to go. Then we get to Exodus 32, and this is what we read this morning. The time between Exodus 19 at the base of Mount Sinai is incredibly short. We can say this is probably days and not necessarily months between the time that they're at the base of Mount Sinai and the thunder and the lightning and Moses goes up and gets the Ten Commandments, gets the law and comes back down, it's short. 
This is you giving somebody a Christmas present, and before February 2nd comes around, they don't even remember no more. It's kind of short. In fact, you didn't even make it to New Year's Eve. Kind of short. And in this Exodus 32, Aaron, the co-leader, falls. Who was God's spokesman during the whole play with Pharaoh to God illustrate his power to the people? Who did all the talking? Aaron. Who did the work of with the snap and everything? Aaron. His brother falls. Now, when you get to the part about the people rose up to sat down and rose up to play, it's an edited version. Just mark a little asterisk. It's an illicit party. Things were not going well at the camp. And when Moses, when the text says, Aaron let them break loose, imagine letting a whole bunch of people doing a bunch of nasty stuff, just letting them run. That's what happened. Moses comes down and breaks the tablets. We read it this morning. What's the very first job the Levites had before they ever knew? Remember, they, at this point in the saga, they have no idea that they will work. Their job will be working in the tabernacle, then after that working in the temple. What was their very first job? They were assassins. Does God take sin incredibly seriously? Absolutely. If you want to serve me, you're going to have to strap on a sword. And God, the, the text says, this is your ordination service. I am going still through the process of being fully ordained. I was going through licensure, and Pastor Michael's up next. But I hope we don't ask him to put a sword on and go and kill people. But God says, you want to serve me, you will deal with the sin in the camp. And 3,000 people die. If there ever was a group of people that cried out to God to show up and do mighty things, it was these people. God had single-handedly defeated every major god of Egypt. They had experienced God's salvation from persecutions, trial, and slavery only by a means that God could do. They had left with treasures and money and extensive plunder. As you picked up your Bible reading guide, with this, through this week we've been reading these scriptures. And it's kind of neat to see where did they get the material to make the golden calf? They're slaves. Right. They didn't rob their own. They didn't go back to the bank before they left that day and say, can I go to the Egyptian ATM? No, they're like, get out of here. Here's my wallet. Here's my ATM card. Here is my jewels. They left with money. They plundered the Egyptians. So the first thing they're going to do with their money is what? Make a calf out of it. And who's going to do the sculpturing? Aaron himself. I don't have time to go into it. When Moses checks him, Aaron kind of lies. But God knows. And he said, hey, if there was ever a people that knew I was going to show up and did amazing things, it was me. I, you, not only did I rescue you and called you my firstborn, but you left with money. You left with treasures. It makes absolute sense then. And immediately upon a safe rescue, God would make his point loud and clear. I did this. See what I have done. I have taken slaves and made them into my very own nation. He shows up moving weather and shaking a mountain to illustrate his power over creation. And then he says, make me a sanctuary. I want to dwell with you. Make me a sanctuary. 
I want to dwell with you. So after seeing the power of a mighty God who can control the weather, the sea, and the ruling nation, Egypt itself, they find themselves lost in a desert they've never lived in. They're guilty of an incredible sin, and God is mad. Moses has done what God has asked him to do. Moses has seen what God can do. Moses is in charge of leading a people who's incredibly fickle. But even his own brother, his co-participant in the Exodus, royally messes up. And then Moses gets to hear God say, Go, take the land flowing with milk and honey. I'll, send you, I'll even send an angel to help you defeat these people. But I won't go. Moses then says, what am I to do? I've seen God do all of these things, and I know that you can, and you have illustrated yourself to us, your people, and even through me. And you asked me to lead these people. If you were asked to lead a group of people that your superhero had protected you, and the superhero says, I'm not doing it no more, what would you do? Check out. Where is my resignation papers? It's no surprise that Moses does that too. So what's he to do? Imagine the question. God, if you're not going, what am I to do? That's where we find ourselves this morning. And remember, God has promised, I will dwell with you. Make me a sanctuary. Where do you think Moses goes to answer the question? Exodus 33, verse 7. Page 58. Or if you're in there in your Bible, Exodus 33, verses 7 through 11. Now you have this picture of Moses who has led his people, who have dealt with everything going on with Exodus up until this point. And when he walks to the tent of meeting, what does his heart look like? Describe to me as a leader, what would your heart be like when you're going to go? Now, you've heard God say, I ain't going. You've got a place to meet him. He's heading in the right direction. But imagine this leader's heart. Imagine the struggle that's going on with him. Imagine everything that's going on with him trying to figure out, lead these people, lead my own family. And he goes to the tent of meeting. Verse 7 of chapter 33. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out of the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak to Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses literally has a place to go. Remember the context of chapter 33. 
Moses literally has a means of interacting with God. He has a literal place to have the vital relationship renewed with the God who saved them literally as a country just days ago. See the massive amount of grace illustrated just in the fact that he can go there. First part of chapter 33, God says, um, you can go, but I'm not going with you. Then look, Moses gets going to the tent of meeting and speak to God as a man speaks to his friend face to face. Look at the grace. Look at the context. They've built a place for God to dwell. At this time, it's called the tent of meeting. And Moses doesn't run around and grab a bunch of guys, all the elders, and say, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? God says he's not going to go with us. Where is the first place now that, Mo that Moses goes to? God. The tent of meeting. Because he's promised that I will meet you there, God says. God says, you want to meet with me, you can go there. Everybody takes notice. Why do you think they had just walked out and Moses is going to the tent of meeting? Why do you think it's a big deal now that everybody's at their door, the tent opening of their tents, and Moses is going to the tent of meeting. Why do you think everybody's at attention? The times had been pretty tough. They just buried 3,000 people. Oh, Moses is going to go talk to God again. And they come to attention at their door, and it's part of their worship. It's unique at this time that the tent of meeting is outside the camp. When you get to the end of Exodus and they build the tabernacle, where is the tabernacle? Right dead center of the camp. We're going to get to that next week. But this is God's way. I'm not going. You can come and meet me outside the tent, outside the camp. And so he's illustrating amazing grace that even you can come and see me, Moses. The sacrificial system isn't even in place yet. We have not got to Leviticus. Dwelling with God puts sin in its proper place. And then God shows up. God doesn't abandon his people. But they know their place and the time they feel they're alone. Meeting. We're going to go to meeting. Have you ever been in the South heard that phrase? We're going to go to meeting this Sunday? This is the oldest church, they think, in the United States. We're going to go to Meeton since 1681. Deb and I got to go see this. What road, what street's it on? Meeting Street. What's on Meeting Street? What do you think there's a lot of on Meeting Street in Charleston, South Carolina? Huh? Churches. You mean God wants to meet with his people? And there was an era in which people took that seriously and even named a road after it? Since 1681, they've been going to meeting at the meeting place on Meeting Street. Isn't that neat? Where do we go when we want to meet God? Are we meeting with the church or are we going to meeting on Meeting Street? It's pretty cool that this building's really old. 
But I would love to know the story of the people that met at Meeting Street before there was buildings. Before they named the street where everybody met. Moses this morning had a place and a means of interacting and meeting with God. Exodus 32 is horrible. Exodus 33 is God said, you can meet with me. Here's the meeting place. And what did Moses call that place? The tent of meeting. Pick up in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Why? Okay, stop right there. Why is he saying that? What's, he, what's Moses saying? Because God at the beginning of chapter 33 says, I'm not going. So Moses is laying out his, okay, this is what you've asked me to do. So Moses gets to have a frank discussion with God, and God ain't scared. And Moses is at the right spot to have it. So pick up with me in the dialogue, verse, 13, verse 12. And Moses said to God, Say, you said to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know in order that to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And God, and he said, and God responds to him, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Moses says, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, and I and your people for every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, <clears throat> This very thing that you have spoken I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I am gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Go with me, Moses says. God's answer, my presence will go with you. Can you feel in the text? The first time, Moses is like, okay, I think I might have heard that, but let me clarify this. Can you imagine the weight coming off of him? My presence will go with you. But in great Moses fashion, Moses likes clarity and discuss things with God. God answer, I've chosen you, Mo. I've called you, and I haven't left you. 
Moses is replying 15 through 16. If you aren't going, I can't move on my own. What's Moses making a big point of here? You've threatened to leave once. And I know who you are. And you've asked me to do this with these people. And if you're not going, I ain't coming up out of here. I like Moses' response in this. What makes Israel, God's people, unique? What makes them special? They're good quality people. They've got their act together. They know what to do with their ornaments. They know how to do well with their jewelry. What makes people holy? The amount they tithe on Sunday and what they wear and who they talk to on Friday night? Moses is in the most intimate relationship with God at this point, asking him to go. And you called me to lead them, he says to God. And these people you've called to be your nation. And they are unique because of what? God calls them his people. Holiness is declared by God. Distinctness is what God is calling them. God, it's the presence of God in this chapter that makes something holy and unique. Oftentimes in our lives we think we don't bring enough to the table to make God happy, to make us holy enough. What is the scriptures teaching us this morning about what makes you a holy person? The presence of God. God dwelling with you. And Moses seeks clarity and he wants assurance. Moses says, God says to Moses, I will go with you. I know you. And Moses says, I want to see your glory. You've got to ask yourself a hard question here. Moses has seen everything that has happened in Exodus. He was a first-hand participant with all this. All the miracles, all the plagues, all the splitting of the sea. Why is he asking now to see God's glory? What, what's, think. You're Moses. You've seen him. You've seen God do amazing things. You've seen a mountain get up and do a line dance. And he says, God, I want to see your glory. God, if you're going, let me see who you are. I follow you. Maybe Moses is just like the rest of us. God, let me get a glimpse of you. Really? If you're there, let me see you. Now he's in the tent of meeting where God spoke to him face to face. He's got an intimate relationship with God. This, as he's matured spiritually, and God has broken him down through situations and people and, and leading people, he's getting to this, you get a glimpse behind the veil of leadership. God said, you will lead my people. This is going to hurt. And then what does Moses ask for? I want to see you for real. Get this out of your mind that God's scared of your prayers. God's scared of what you bring to the table. Oh, God doesn't want to know about this. God doesn't want to know about that. When you're upset and your times are really tough, this is exactly where God wants you. And God is never afraid of Moses. And Moses asks some of the hardest questions. And he repeats them. And Moses kind of gets to argue with God on two occasions. God, let me see your presence. He's at a really, really rough spot. He's in a really bad time when everybody is deserting him. And by the way, is things going to get easier for Mo? 
Miriam and Aaron are going to do it again. The, good, the amazing grace of the Hebrew scriptures is the fact that Aaron lived. That's a whole other sermon. His own family is going to be trouble. When you, by the time you get to the point that the Israelites don't have faith to follow God to go into the promised land, that, whole, that little short period of time was chock full of challenging times for Moses and the people. God's going to call him to lead these rough, stiff-necked people through even worse times after this. But God is going to show up here and says, I'm going to dwell with you. I'm this new neighbor who has called you out of a land and called you my own, and I'll show you who I am. I love this. There's all of us at some point in time who said, God, can I have just a little glimpse? And God said, yeah. But here's what's going to happen. I'm going to let you just barely have a glimpse, and you might live. You ready? I'd like to have known what Moses' thoughts were. First, you imagine, God, I want to see you for who you are. I want to see your presence. You say it's going to be with me. I want to see it. All right, you ready? Yeah. All right, here's what's going to happen so you don't die. Oh. goes from old to leader, leading his people because God is indwelling right there. He is dwelling with his people. He is that new neighbor that is going to lead these people, and he has met them right after one of the roughest times in their history. Up to date, they have gone from hero to zero in days. And God says, I'm going to show you, but I want to let you know something. I have the right to be gracious to whom I am gracious, and I'll be merciful to whom I am merciful, Mo. No right up front. When God created, he has the right to rule over his creation. Jesus created and has the right to rule over his creation. Even meeting him in grace, God says, I have the right to rule and govern this people and everything. Know that up front, Moses. I'm going to show you, but you can't handle it. I'm going to show you, but you're going to get a glimpse of my back. I'm going to cover you with my hand. It's a neat way in which the scriptures paint this picture of God working with this man by covering him and just letting him catch a glimpse. And God shows up. So God has illustrated himself to to Egypt themselves, a new nation of Israelites who were once slaves. This new nation of Israelites quickly goes from promising obedience to leaving, living in complete decadence in a very short period of time. God's people have gone from cries of help to joys of exaltation, of safe passage, to seeing God catch a mountain on fire, to full-blown rebellion. And they attribute God's work to another God. Can't get much worse than that. God's wrath for this disobedience calls the Levites into action on day one as assassins. The new people recognize that it's their sin who has now left them alone in the wilderness. Without hope if God has abandoned them. Their new leader knows now if they have sinned and God won't restore this relationship, they are out of their zip code in a wilderness all by themselves without hope. But God wants to dwell with his people. 
He wants to vividly announce his glory. At this particular time, he used the nations, and the weather, and mountains to declare his glory. But what he desires is the heart. The heart that chases after him. And the climax of our story today is God meeting Moses where? In a tent. At this point, it's not anything special. A mountain isn't on fire for the crux of this leader's following of his Savior. He's meeting him in a tent. He's asking Moses, will you follow me now in light of this? Why? Moses, are you totally sold out for my reputation only? Are you totally sold out to spread my reputation, my good news through the entire world? Can you see the, the great extent that God goes through to dwell with his people? If it had been you or I on that mountain, we would have exterminated all the people in an instant. But God has met with his leader in front of people with ways that are undeniable so the entire camp can see it. And he says, I want to dwell with you. So this holy new neighbor wants to dwell with us. Jesus says, I am that new neighbor. Moses had just liberated the people through God's power, and they're getting to know this new neighbor. Exodus will end with the tabernacle being built, and then they, Leviticus says, what do we do with that tabernacle? God has worked in powerful ways to say, I want to dwell with you. Here's the way we're going to dwell together. Jesus says, I want to dwell with you. I've chased Adam and Eve. Now we come into Christmas and we're celebrating. I want to dwell with you. Here's the means in which we're going to reconciliate. This new neighbor has gone through incredible lengths to meet you or I, and is it something we're willing to talk about this week? Are you willing to go if you're going solo? Because in this week, there's going to be moments when we'll deal with sin and the God who deals with us in that sin. If we choose to go solo, as Moses said, you might as well leave me here and blot me out of your book. Do we take it seriously enough when we see a friend, we see a neighbor, we talk to people about what it means for Jesus to be incarnate at this time of year, do we say, I am going under his power now that I know that he is dwelling with me. It isn't about me, and it isn't about how strong I can do this, how well I can communicate it, but praying for God to give those opportunities of sharing the good news of what he is doing at this time when it's easiest to speak with people about it. Only by God dwelling with us shall we go. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org.